Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Welcome to Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong, and thank you ever so much for listening to the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. This week on Independence Day, David Serby. But before we get started on this week's show, I'd like to say something about the passing of musician Guy Clark, who we lost yesterday at the age of 74. Clark was a legend in some circles, and we've already lost far too many legends this year. The best way to honor their legacies is to keep making and to keep listening to great music, because that's what they did when they too lost their heroes. David Serby is a stalwart member of Los Angeles' Vibrant Roots music community. He's a local boy, born in North Hollywood, and aside from leading his own band, The Latest Scam, and playing bass for other artists, Serby co-founded the California Roots Union, an advocacy group with the stated mission of preserving and promoting the California Roots music scene, upholding its long legacy, and fostering new talent. It's enough to make any mortal musician tired just thinking about it. When asked if he's something other than mortal, or if, perhaps, his days have an extra hour or two, and Serby will politely demur. But his resume speaks otherwise. He's a prolific songwriter who has released five albums to date, the most recent of which is an eponymous double-disc set comprised of 20 songs that were culled from the 50-odd songs he'd compiled since his prior record. The David Serby and the Latest Scam record also marked a stylistic shift from the reputation he'd built as a country musician with a closet Jones for acoustic folk. Inspired by the 80s British rock band Rockpile, Serby turned up the amps and jacked up the tempos in order to find a sonic palette that would allow him to express any Beatles, Stones, Ramones, and Elvis Costello influences that had snuck in along with the Merle, Cash, Buck, and Hank during his formative years. His band stepped up to the challenge, and the record came with instructions to play loud, thereby illuminating the blurred line between rock and country music that has evolved into the modern alternative country movement a subgenre that now comes complete with its own award show put on by the Americana Music Association, a distinct Grammy category, and a growing fan base of people searching for authenticity in the digital music millennium. With feet planted firmly in both camps, David Serby has always had a front row seat at the party at the house where he has always lived. Welcome to Independence Day, David Serby. Hey, Dave. Hey, Joe. How are you? Good, man. Thanks for coming in. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. I appreciate it so very much. I'm so looking forward to hearing your band. Your band's hot. Well, they're uh, talented guys, and uh, they're not hard to get along with, and they make great music, so it's a lot of fun. It's great when you hear uh, very talented people who aren't jerks. You know, I think there's a lot of stereotypes in the business, like that people who are very talented, you know, have bad attitudes, and there's certainly, like, the, 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 the <laughs> maybe they should go nameless, I'm looking at you, Jennifer Lopez's of the world, <laughs> who have attitudes, um, but then you hear about people, like, I've, I've heard there's so many people, you know, you never know. But I've heard stories, you know, people like Peter Gabriel. I've heard that like he's just the nicest dude yeah. in the world. And there's other people. So it's, it's very pleasing to meet people who are talented, who are good. So congratulations to you. And it's a, it's a lucky position to be in. Thank you. No, I feel great about it. Uh, there's a lot of uh, really great musicians uh, who play in the uh, Roots community here in Los Angeles. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, the guys in my band and that I've had in and out of my band for the last, I don't know, yeah. 10 years or whatever, it's all great people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So thank you again. Thank you again. So we have so much to talk about uh, in terms of the music, making music, what you do. Uh, let's start off. Give me a little bit of like your baseball card. You know, where did you get from, you know, a zygote to 
you know, LA, LA does have a root scene, but it, it kind of, you know, it, it did with Graham Parsons and it did way back in the day. Neil Young spent time here in the very late sixties and then moved up North. Um, so where did, like, give me like, where did you come from and how did country come into your life? Country music? I mean, when I was a kid, uh, I went to high school and college down in Orange County. Um, but, you know, after that, I came up here for graduate school. And eventually I started playing kind of singer-songwriter things with uh, my acoustic guitar. And uh, there was a guy in town, he passed away recently, named Billy Block, who uh, had a great uh, singer-songwriter thing at Highland Grounds called Western Beat for years. Mm-hmm. It was very popular. And a lot of great uh, singer-songwriters uh, kind of came through that. And I would hang out there and watch him and meet as many people as I could. And um, I started playing that every once in a while. And uh, through that, I met Ed Tree, uh, who's in my band. He's been in my band since I've had a band mm-hmm. uh, playing Roots music here. And uh, he's a great producer, too. And uh, I put a bunch of songs together, and we made a record. And then we put a band together, and that's yeah. kind of what I've been doing for the last, I don't know, Almost decade, probably. man. You're. It's funny because you're like summarizing this as if it all happened overnight. But you've got five albums. Yeah, spread out back since. Uh, yeah, about ten years. Two thousand and six was yeah. the first record. This and, is a ten year anniversary. I think. Well, congratulations. Thank you. It's, it's good. <laughs> I'm. Uh, and so, but let's what, expound on that just a little bit. Like, was there, you know, so country music? You know, by the time you were writing songs, you were probably in at least your late teens. Like you said, once you get into college, grad mm-hmm. school, um, was there country music like where i grew up country music was like everyone like hated country music or uh, or or they were like kind of rednecky and they really that was their thing but like in suburban chicago in the 80s like oh I, I like everything but country and like it seems like in the modern age that is switched to a lot well I like everything but rap at least for white people yeah and so but where, was there someone in your family who played this style of well, music or like how did that bug bite you no well no not really um you know when i was a kid kind of country music was the uh, thing that my dad listened to that I liked. Okay. Right. So um, he had Roger Miller records and Willie Nelson records and Johnny Cash records and Statler Brothers and and stuff like that. And uh-huh. you know we would uh, drive around in the car and you know those are the eight tracks I would kind of beg him to play because you know I I knew I would like that stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know you get a little older you get into junior high and you get into high school and you kind of turn your back on the on the stuff that your parents. Uh, like and uh, you know I uh, got into rock and roll and then punk rock and stuff like that and then when I got you know when I was about to get out of high school you know this really cool root stuff in Los Angeles started happening um, you know uh, X and the Blasters and Los Lobos yeah and um, you know Dave Alvin eventually and you know Dwight Yoakam a little later than that um, Rank and File a band I really dug back then uh, all those things started happening in the um, kind of late 70s, early to mid 80s. And I and I kind of found my way back to, to Roots music. Uh-huh. And I was making kind of music with some buddies uh, who I grew up with in high school. And it was more kind of a rock and roll punk rock thing. And then I would write songs and they would say, that sounds like a country song. And um, so it just started to come out of me. So, What were you listening to that wasn't country? Like if I were to go back into your collection your record collection from like say junior high like i feel like that's the kind of age where you start to form your own musical identity like you get your first 10 bucks in your allowance and you ride your bike up to music land at the mall or whatever yeah. it was called record land and you like what did you like what were the records you were plopping down your money for back then when i was in junior high i was listening to anything that was on like KMET and klos here in, okay. in los angeles so it was like kind of mainstream rock, and rock. rock stuff classic rock yeah and then um when i 
you know, got a little older in high school, that's when I really got into um, this kind of, I, I remember seeing uh, Devo on Saturday Night Live, which was kind of a seminal uh, okay. kind of musical moment. And then in Orange County, there was a lot of cool Orange County punk rock that yeah, I was definitely. really into. Um, I, I loved Agent Orange. I saw them a bunch of times in, you know, gymnasiums and Elks clubs yeah. and um, the adolescence and uh, a bunch of really cool uh, Orange County punk rock, which I loved a lot. And so that's what I was listening. That's kind of where I was when I started, when I discovered, you know, like rank and file and X and, and that kind okay. of stuff. And well, there's a, there's an interesting cross pollinization between like punk and kind of raw country that came to be in the kind of eight, you know, late eighties and uncle Tupelo, other bands were kind of doing it too. that bloodshot thing out of Chicago, that style where I think I read somewhere, maybe it was Jay Farrar talking about how, you know, but to them, when they discovered like the Carter family and all that really old like country music, like to, to them, they were like, well, that's the rawest thing I've ever heard. Like we're listening to some Minutemen and we're listening to all these up-tempo bands with stutters and you know, digga, 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 stuff. Yeah. But they heard that country stuff and you know, they were, they had the presence of mind enough to go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Like these kids who are white kids in the suburbs are talking about being raw and like rebelling against mm -hmm. like their, you know, middle-class upbringing. But here we've got a whole group of people who lived on nothing who might actually not have had shoes or yeah. gone to the bathroom indoors. And like, that's the rawest thing I've ever heard. And I, combined it to and launched the ship, I think, you know, along with a few other bands that became this like roots music, alt country, Americana, call it whatever you want it, you know? I do think if you're looking for kind of honesty, you keep kind of, uh, kind of peeling away the yeah. layers of, uh, you know, the artifice or whatever it is. Right. And you get to that kind of rawest, most yeah. uh, honest thing. And you listen to the people who, you know, you're influenced by and you read interviews by them. I mean, now it's so accessible. People have so much information um, uh, on their kind of heroes. But back yeah. then, you know, in the 80s, early 80s, it right. would, you know, you would mine every interview you read with somebody who you really dug and you would yeah. listen to like, who are they listening to? Who did they like growing up? Yeah. And then that's how you would find your way back to that stuff. And that's how people discover the Carter family. It was harder to find it. That's exactly what you're oh, saying. Yeah. Because I, to, to reference Recordland for the second time in like three <laughs> minutes, you know, uh, the record store at the mall was our point of contact with the entire music business where I grew up, and there was like a whiteboard kind of thing behind the counter, and it would they would write upcoming releases on there, and that's how we found out. We had no idea when. I don't know, Pink Floyd or whoever was releasing a new album yeah. until we went to the record store or we read it in Rolling Stone. Right. That was it. That was, there was no, in, that, I feel like it's, it's a funny thing. I'm dating myself and I guess our whole thing, but there was no internet to just know, nor was there a way for a band to put up a live streaming video of them recording the album. Not only would you know it was coming out, you knew it when they were going in to tune up the guitars. Oh yeah. You would get, you would buy a record, uh, an LP and you would, you know, you had, there was no music video back then. Yeah. You would stare at the, at the, the, you know, the sleeve and the liner notes and look at the photos and you know, that stuff really uh, defined for you what that was. Yeah. I think there's an interesting difference. This is separate from music, but it certainly applies to our conversation, which is knowing the answer and knowing where to find the answer are not the same thing. Oh, yeah. You know, like I had to build a database yeah. in my head by cross-referencing who had played on what album by reading the liner notes of the albums that, that I and my friends had. I couldn't just go to all music, which is not the greatest website. Anyway, but I wish there was an IMDB for music that was as good. 
Yeah. Uh, internet movie database for music that was as good. All music was good, but then somebody bought it and now it's not quite as comprehensive mm. anyway. But like I had to build that database from scratch. Yeah. You know, all this was recorded at Air, Air Studios in Montserrat. Well, where is that? Yeah. Who else is recorded there? Right. You know, I couldn't just go look it up. It wasn't in the encyclopedia, which yeah. was made of paper. We're all Google geniuses now. And, uh, yeah, exactly. Back yeah. in my day. Yeah. Anyway, my guest this week on Independence Day, David Serby. He's brought a hot band. We're going to hear some live songs from him in just a few minutes. But first, let's hear something from his most recent record which wasn't that terribly long ago it was 2013 which seems like only yesterday to me me too actually yeah david <laughs> serby and the latest scam i love it when people i just love to use the word eponymous so kudos to you man for so for the, that album is uh, titled after him and the band the latest yeah. scam and the track we've picked for this to give you guys a point of reference before we get to the live material is the song where is it you're bored right y you're bored tell me just a little bit about this david we'll hear it uh all right well i was uh i was actually hanging out at the cinema bar one night uh listening to some friends uh play music and i had asked my wife if she wanted to come over with me and and uh, watch the music and she didn't really uh, want to go all the way over to culver city that evening and but i kept getting texts from her asking me where i was and what i was doing and um I texted her back, you know where I am, you know what I'm doing, you didn't want to come. And uh, I get home. And Stop bothering me, woman. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, what's with all the text? She goes, well, I was bored and I missed you. And I said, you know, being bored is not the same as missing me. And uh, uh -huh. I sat down and I wrote a song called You're Bored. Very nice. And you're very prolific, too. You write a lot of material. So we'll talk about that in a few minutes as sure. well. So this is David Serby and The Latest Scam from the album David Serby and The Latest Scam. The track is You're Bored on Independence Day. Stop your beat and cry I ain't coming back to sing your lullaby Face is turning red, tears running down your bib You're just a little baby screaming in a crib You're bored, bored, bored Little honey, I wish you'd see You're bored, bored, bored But that ain't the same as missing me Honey, back in school you fell in love with boys you were a big girl, threw away your toys Now I ain't your doll, and we ain't playing house Cause like those little toys, you up and threw me out You're bored, bored, bored Little honey, I wish you'd see You're bored, bored, bored But that ain't the same as missing me Tears, they were a trap for love, it was a trick Baby, settle down or you ain't getting fed I told you a little story, now I'm putting you to bed You're bored, bored, bored Little honey, I wish you'd see You're bored, bored, bored But that ain't the same as missing That ain't the same as missing Oh, that ain't the same as missing me My name 
name is Joe Armstrong. Thank you for listening to Independence Day. This week's guest, David Serby and his band, The Latest Scam. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. I love hearing this. Thank you. It's fun. I mean, it's, you're in this Roots environment, which is kind of a catch-all, Roots music. Right. I feel like it's kind of like the alternative music scene was in, say, 1992. Like, I feel like in 92, we had a lot of bands that the labels didn't know where to put them. We're all in the same bin together. So you had, gosh, uh, <laughs> Toad the Wet Sprocket in the same bin as the Jayhawks and uh, Elvis Costello and U2 and R.E.M. Right. And then alternative music somehow got harder and became Bush, mm-hmm. you know, or that kind of thing. Like it became yeah. a harder edge thing. But at one point it was this kind of beautiful thing because it was really just an alternative to whatever the mainstream was. Sure. And now I feel like alt country has kind of become that kind of way too, where there are subdivisions within this thing. Right. Um, but it seems to me your music sits more towards the countryside. I think it does. Uh, I, you know, the thing I really love about making roots music in uh, Southern California is the community is uh, super supportive and um, really allows you to do anything you you want to do. You know, and filter all your influences through whatever that is, right? right. So, um, you know, I've uh, you know five records, and a couple of them sound like pretty straight honky tonk records. One I think is kind of a darker folk record. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, the last one, latest scam is is kind of filtered through stuff I listened to when I was in high school. So I yeah. think to me, it's those influences are more kind of like, um, you know, power pop or new wave or whatever. And yeah. I think there's some of that in there. But uh, they, you know, the community here is so cool, and I think the the um, kind of genre is so big. It allows you to do those types of things. Yeah, I feel like we're having uh, the other night when I was thinking about it, we're having like a renaissance or it's the renaissance time right now for Roots Music, because now we have a separate award show. I'm not terribly into award shows, right? but there's one specifically for Americana music now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Jason Isbell's race, latest record, uh, Something More Than Free, which came out just last year, it topped the charts, several charts, right? which is something uh, that not too, you know, the pillars of the alt-country Americana, no depression movement, whatever that's called. There are very few people who have actually had records that sold an amount like that right. to get you know maybe it was just for a week you mm-hmm. know or maybe a day you know it didn't have to be that it was just a few thousand copies i think he had beat out the next guy lose a luke bryan i think maybe anyway um but we're at this weird place where it's kind of a rising tide of this type of music i mean is there do you why do you think that is do you have any idea i mean i think about it all the time why you know i i mean personally i think maybe there's some some cultural stuff going on. I think that, uh, I think we're, we've reached a time, it's almost like hard times are here again, I think for a lot yeah. of people. And I think the the folks that are attracted to roots music, I think feel those things in their lives. And I think they're, they're attracted to, to, uh, a music that has a greater sense of honesty to it and yeah. has, uh, less, you know, this big production machine kind of Nashville stuff yeah. going on. I think it's a combination of things. There's also like the, the, the kind of the collapse of the infrastructure of the business in the last 10 or 15 years has kind of played into this too. Whereas there was an old paradigm, the A&R person, you try to get their attention, you try to get an advance, you make an album in an expensive studio, and then they put you on tour, you have tour support, and either you're a success and you move on to the next thing, or you're dropped and you're back to mowing lawns or painting signs or whatever you right. did. Um, but... You know, along with like, you know, we're going to get into political topics, but like redistribution of wealth and uh, the internet factoring into this. Like, I think people are longing for something kind of real, mm-hmm. whatever that is. And there's a, there's a very big word in the alt country community, which is authenticity, mm-hmm. or at least perceived authenticity, because it's still showbiz. But I think this, you know, 
it's kind of like the grunge thing where it's like people who are fans of this music want to see a dude or a girl who's wearing the same thing at the coffee shop as they are there as they're there on stage. And if they're frumpy looking at the coffee shop, they're just frumpy looking on stage. And that's the way it is. Yeah. Now there's a little bit in LA. I mean, it's still Los Angeles. It's vision centric and it's still entertainment. So people still care about what they wear. You know, the, I call it like the, the plaid shirt militia or the snap shirt yeah. militia. Right. You know, there's a uniform. Everybody, there's a uniform. Every, just like any other yeah. style. And I'm part of it too, you know? Yeah. Comfy shirts, uh, cowboy boots, you yeah. know, city people wearing cowboy boots. Yeah. You know, maybe it was the urban cowboy thing played part of it, but it feels different to me somehow. It feels very different. And there's a big scene of this in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, when I was, uh, you know, I went to film school at Loyola uh, Marymount. And I remember, you know, back then you still cut film with a little splicer. Yeah. And, you know, but they were talking about, you know, shooting things on high eight, I think it was called or something. And it was like the democratization of, of art. Right. And I think that, um, you know, that's caught up or, you know, song songwriters and stuff are using that now. And, and more people who didn't have a voice now have a voice because they have access to, um, this level of technology that allows them to make, yeah. you know, uh, art. The barriers, barriers to entry are largely gone. Absolutely. It doesn't cost very much, it costs a little, but you can do it on your phone. You can multi-track. Yeah. On your phone. I mean, it's, there's that old analogy about, you know, how the phone you have in your pocket has orders of magnitude more processing power than the Eagle command module that took Neil Armstrong, Michael Collins, and Buzz Aldrin to the moon in 1969. It's crazy. And, you know, and, and people also like to say like, well, the Beatles only had a four track. Well, sure, they had a four track, but they also had Neumann microphones and Pultec and beautiful mic pre's and compressors, and they had George Martin. So I think maybe that's what's missing. George Martin might might help a little. I think he tips the scales yeah, a little bit in the other direction. Top, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so you've brought a band. I want to do so many more things I want to talk about, but you got a band here. We're going to play some live music. Uh, the band, uh, the latest scam. Why don't you uh, introduce who these guys are? It's Ed and Greg and Dale. That's right, Ed Tree on guitar, and uh, Ed, uh, again, I've known him for uh, a long time, and he produces my records, he's played guitar with me. Uh, I think out of every, out of all the gigs I've done in the last 10 years, I think Ed has only not done three of them. Wow. Uh, I think uh, a great guitar player named Billy Watts sat in for one night, Um, uh, Dwayne Jarvis uh, sat in for one night, and I I think uh, Chris Chris Lawrence might have played guitar okay. for us one night, um, but and Greg Boaz uh, is a, the bass player, and uh, Greg was in Dave Alvin's band, The Guilty Men, for years. Tex and the Horseheads. He's a just super nice guy and brilliant, brilliant uh, bass player. And Dale Daniel, who was in the Hacienda Brothers and uh, a lot of other great, uh, great bands, and uh, one of my uh, really good friends. Very, very nice. And this first song that we've got queued up. What's this first one? Uh, it's called "I Bought the Ring," and it's about. Uh, you know, the th- one of the things I love about country music is the wordplay, mm-hmm. and uh, I decided that a wedding ring and a, and a boxing ring uh, might go together in a song, yeah. so that's what I did. <laughs> it's funny how cliches weave themselves into country music. Yeah. It's kind of like, I think the parallel is kind of like uh, hair salons. Like if it's a hair, if you have a hair salon and it's called Curl Up and Die, people expect that. Yeah. You know, or sheer excellence mm-hmm. or or whatever it is. Right. Like you can get like in other styles of music, like you wouldn't get away with that. But like I think in country music, like it's amazing to me how we still keep we had the same words all yeah. along. I think it's a it's a convention in country music that yeah. uh, I, I love. I absolutely love. I mean, my favorite songwriters are are, are clever kind of lyricists and um 
but you know, being able to take a cliche and, and try and do something different with it, it's yeah. always a challenge, and I think it's yeah. always fun. It's fun, fun, fun stuff. All right, so I want to talk. When we come back, I want to talk a little after this tune. I mean, I want to talk about these songwriters that you love. Like who who made you want to write? Because writing and playing two different things. Uh, my guest this week, David Serby, and the latest scam. This is his track. I bought the ring. Brand new song, David Serby on Independence Day. David Serby on Independence Day. Drop by his website, davidserby.com, S-E-R-B-Y. Also on Facebook, slash David Serby Band. He's on uh, the Twitter, at David Serby, Instagram. You're pretty easy to find, I think. I think so. A lot of songs. I write a lot. Are you a guy, are you a napkin scribbler? Like, do you, are you, or do you do it on your phone now? But is it, is it like constantly pouring out of you? Do you wake up in the middle of the night and like write a line down? You know, I do... Well, I do write on napkins a lot. Uh, you know, one of my favorite songs I ever wrote, I wrote on a napkin at Highland Grounds at Billy Block's Western Beat. Um, but I, you know, I find that I try and be really disciplined, uh, and that you know, I liken it to a faucet. And if you just have the faucet open all the time, the water's not always clean. Sometimes it's it's uh, you know tastes like rust. But if yeah. you shut the faucet off, nothing's coming out. So I just yeah. try and leave that faucet open all the time. And sometimes you get something good and sometimes yeah. you don't. But you always got to get something. Do you have to... 
I have to very consciously make myself stop listening to music when I'm in kind of writing mode or when I feel a song coming on, I have to turn off input because I feel like in our modern age, we're so assaulted constantly. There's input from everywhere. You can't fill up your car with gas mm-hmm. without having someone yammering at you and music playing and a commercial playing on a little screen at the gas pump. I mean, it's in your pocket. You know, you could stay in bed all day and have access to everything in the world and order food and book a flight and write a song and record it. Right. An acapella song laying in your bed. Yeah. Um, is that an ever an issue for you or does it just keep tumbling out regardless? Um, it it kind of tumbles out regardless. I... Um you know, I try not to listen to stuff while I'm actively writing a song because I, you know, I think if you have a decent ear, I think it's hard not to be influenced by those things. And I'll write something, and then I'll I'll listen to it a day later, and I said that sounds like Puff the Magic Dragon, or yeah. something. You know, <laughs> I'm just stealing yeah. stuff, and uh, so uh, I, you know, I try not to, um, I try not to do that. Obviously, but. do you? Because that's happened to me too, and I think it's probably happened to most songwriters, where you're you've come up with an idea and you start kind of tinkering with it, and then you realize right away, ah, well, this sounds like some Tom Petty song or what have you. Yeah. Do you then abandon that, or do you then try to find a way to bend it? No, I bend it. Okay, I, I absolutely bend it. There's a, a song on the last record that uh, I, I came in the bridge sounded like something I can't remember what it was, and. Um, I hadn't caught it, and Ed Ed said that kind of sounds a little bit like. And I said, you know, you're right. I think it does. And I just bent the melody a little bit, and yeah. it didn't anymore. So yeah, and I mean, let's be realistic. I mean, again, like we've all had the same words, you know, same twenty six letters. We've had the same twelve notes. That's and right. We've got a couple time signatures, and yeah. we've got so you know x number of keys. And yeah, I, I think to you know not to admit to stealing stuff too is I, I don't think it's being honest. I mean, yeah. I, I think every every songwriter I think steals stuff. You know, I have there's a song on my last record, "Breaking News," that I don't think sounds anything like "Girls Talk" by yeah. Rockpile. But <laughs> I start I started out yeah. trying to steal "Girls Talk" by Rockpile because I love that song. So. It's also a form of reverence. Yeah, because there's people uh, artists out there who even if they're they've been heard. They haven't been, I, mean, I feel they haven't been heard enough. And so, you know, or, or even, you know, or Tom Petty, who I revere uh, in terms of songwriting and what he's done in his career. You know, WWTPD is something I've asked myself when writing a song. Well, what would mm-hmm. Tom Petty do? Sure. You know, would he, would he say that word? And it's not that I want to be just like Tom Petty. It's not that I don't think I even particularly sound a lot like Tom Petty, but there's a guy who knows his way around a song. Mm-hmm. And there are numerous other people who know that too. So if you're going to steal, the moral is to steal from the best. That's right. And I think that if you're going to write a song, uh, you should try and write something that good, right? You shouldn't, right? You know, you you, the bar should not be low. Yeah, right? you should set the bar high. If you're gonna you, steal, steal from the best. I'll say right. it again. And yeah, there's and there's certain things like I said. It's a form of reverence. There was a song on my last record where I was consciously like, okay, this to me, uh, this is a tip of the hat to Tom Petty, and this mm-hmm. is a particular type of song that he does. Yeah, not so much lyrically, but sonically and the way it felt. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going for. And if people hear that, it actually pleases me because it's like, yeah, you listening to me, listen to Tom Petty, who's then going to point you to Elvis, and then Elvis is going to point you to somebody else. Right. You know, we're standing on the shoulders of the shoulders of the shoulders of giants. That's right. Anyway, so uh, we said we were going to get to the people that you know you actually revere. Uh, songwriters like you can start playing everyone starts playing their songs what was it that made you start writing when you were a young musician you know i i wrote i just wrote before i wrote music i just you know yeah. I, I love writers i love uh you know um 
I love fiction. I love short fiction. I love, you know, reading the newspaper growing up. I just love to read. Um, so I think that kind of got me into to writing and trying to kind of duplicate those types of things and mm-hmm. the, and the rhythms in kind of written language, I think is, is kind of can be hypnotic. And, uh, then, you know, songwriters like Roger Miller, I think was the first kind of songwriter that I really, cause my parents had records and eight tracks and stuff. And, and Roger Miller was the first songwriter. I think that I really said, wow, that is, uh, heartbreaking and clever and uh, smart and all at the same time so much humor in it and uh i was really blown away by roger miller i love uh, interesting yeah so you mentioned authors being a thing uh you know fiction prose whatever like were there particular authors in high school that you were geeking out on like what whose name would you be scribbling on your trapper keeper uh, oh, I you know what I really liked uh, Ernest Hemingway when I was a kid okay. and uh, Steinbeck and classics uh, yeah American um, classics the stuff that they force you to read and then you end up loving it now okay so then when it came to writing music was it just a function of practicality like okay we're playing our own you know we've got our band now someone's got to write like yeah you know I my first kind of stuff that I was doing in high school I didn't play an instrument uh, I was kind of the singer and I wrote lyrics. And I would just, I was always really good at writing lyrics. I don't know that the lyrics were really good, but I was really good at writing them. And uh, I would I would just scribble, scribble, scribble. I would, you know, I had a fast food job and I would scribble on the back of the tray uh, liners. Mm-hmm. And I would just, I just scribbled lyrics nonstop. And I would take them over to my buddy's house and I would just give him, you know, sheets and sheets of lyrics. And he would kind of put chords to them and we'd come up with songs. And that's... Okay, um, that's kind of how it started. So you started off not even playing an instrument with it. You were just—that's right. Say yeah. just. It's not. I mean, it's yeah. certainly a skill unto itself. But then, were you performing those live, like in your first incarnation of a band? You were like the front yeah. guy, like the and David Lee Roth, without the, without I, a, unencumbered by not, an instrument. Not as quite the David Lee Roth, but I was unencumbered. Uh, well, pick your singer. You got yeah. your Robert Plant. You right. got your David yeah. Lee Roth. You got your. I mean, you can certainly stand there and sulk too. That's an aesthetic, yes. just as much as anything Absolutely. else. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, that's exactly what I did. And, uh, when, um, I think I probably didn't buy a guitar until I was a senior in high school. Okay. So I started playing guitar late and then I played saxophone when I was younger. Okay. Well, Van Morrison, certainly he's that's right. David Bowie's saxophone, saxophone player. Yes, he is. David Gilmore now. <laughs> yeah. has, really? For the, which makes sense because he's always yeah. had that saxophone phrasing on his guitar. Mm-hmm. I saw some video of him recently where he was at a sound check. I don't know that he performs on it, but yeah. you know, that makes sense. Well, I think, you know, you listen to or read, uh, I, I think I'm going to get this right, but Keith Richards, I think when he w- woke up and wrote the riff for um, uh, Satisfaction, he heard that as a horn line. So I, okay. think, I think a lot of great uh, guitar players uh, hear hear things or think about horn lines when they're writing kind of yeah. catchy stuff. Yeah, well, there's, uh, you know, guitar being a polyphonic instrument, you can play lead single lines, a melody. It shares that with the piano where if you're facile enough, you can kind of play a bass line, you know, chords, mm-hmm. a melody kind of mixed in with that. When you accompany yourself, it's a very good instrument for that Yeah, because it's versatile. And then if you want to go play your scream and solo, you can do that too. That's one of the reasons I, uh, my folk record, uh, Poor Man's Poem, uh, I really wanted to teach myself and get good at finger picking mm-hmm. guitar and being able to do that alternate bass line thing. And I worked, I worked really hard to do it. And, you know, I had kind of these darker folk songs and, it was perfect. Yeah. So who did you look to? Was it like a Travis picking kind of situation? Because I mean, I can tell you exactly where I started, but where did where did it start for you? Well, I I love uh, I love Merle Travis and uh, Piedmont Blues. Um, 
I love all that stuff. So uh, I, I would just kind of get books and, and kind of look at tablature and listen to records and try and, you know, hear what they were doing. You know, you hear stories about, you know, the Rolling Stones trying to figure out Robert Johnson songs together and thinking it's two guitars. And, and I heard uh, the same kind of story with Brett Mason, uh, a great guitar player in Nashville, yeah. and talking about Jerry Reed, I think, and he thought that some of the stuff yeah. was two guitars. And I was just always fascinated by the ability to, to obviously, I cannot do anything close to what Brett Mason or... or uh, Jerry Reed or you know Robert Johnson does, but uh, I was kind of fascinated by the ability to to have a, an alternating bass line and, and pick out a little bit of a melody yeah. on the other strings. So. so this is geeky, but how many fingers do you use on your right hand, being a right-handed player for picking? Uh, like, do you get into you know uh, I don't index, use... middle, and ring with yeah. your finger? Okay, I can do that. Yeah, yeah. that's that's pretty cool stuff. Because yeah. if you watch, it's so funny how you watch so many players. Uh, John Prine, mm-hmm. I think, only uses. I think you're right. His thumb and I, his, his yeah. uh, first finger. Yeah, I think you're right. And I've, I think I've Steve Earle, I think, mm-hmm. only uses maybe one finger with a hint of the second one. And there's another player, too, uh, uh, Sam Beam from Iron and Wine. Yeah. There's a lot of really fin- intricate finger-picky stuff, but he's not, you know, because I took classical lessons in college. I was, I mean, it was fun. I, should, I was about to say I was forced at gunpoint, but <laughs> I was forced to take classical lessons. And it's a cool thing, and knowledge never hurts you, and it was cool. But it's a very different uh, posture, like mm-hmm. you can't see me because we're obviously on a podcast, but you kind of sit up with your foot on a, a little stool and you lean very far forward and the guitar, your your right arm, if you're a right-handed player, is kind of clawed out in front of the guitar mm-hmm. and you never touch your right hand onto the top of the guitar. Yeah. Whereas the guy, you know, it Hicks music in Aurora, Illinois, when I was taught, I had an anchor finger. Yeah. You pop that finger on the guitar and it never moves. Yeah, I don't have, you know, one of the things that uh, I had a hard time when I was when I was you know teaching myself to do this is I didn't anchor anything because I found if I anchored something it just it built tension into my yeah. hand and my arm and I could not get any kind of fluid fluidity at all mm-hmm. doing that so um, I, I don't anchor anything there. So. I mean, guitar is a funny instrument because it's so much of an oral tradition instrument. There's so many people who learned on their own or got showed something by their uncle or by their buddy after school in an alley, and then they just kind of run with that. Like, I'm, I'm a big Mark Knopfler fan, yeah. and his right-hand technique, if you ever watch it, is crazy because he's also not a pick guy. You know, yeah, He plays right. almost everything with his fingers. And if you watch him play, he's got... I mean, it looks like a... You know, he's got... He's a, a, a What's the word I'm looking for? Like a physical deformity. Right. The way he's playing like with arth- his right arth- hand. It's kind of curled around and his thumb's really stuck far out. Mm-hmm. But everyone, but no one sounds like Mark Knopfler. The guy's yeah. one of those guys. You can play one note, you know it's him. Yeah. Ed, anyway. Tr- Ed Tree, who plays with me, has a very uh, yeah. kind of unique, uh, distinct, like one-of-a-kind uh, way of attacking the strings, whether he's playing with a pick or not. Yeah. And it's just, it, that's his voice. You become your thing. Yeah. You know, you can get all the amps and pedals and cables and picks and specific stuff in the world, but really... It really does come down to you. Mm-hmm. Anyways, David Serby is my guest. So happy to have you, man. Thank you very much. And this band, speaking of uh, the band here, let's bring these guys out. Let's do another track. What's this next one going to be, man? Uh, we're going to play Haunted by You. Haunted by You. And this is a new, another new song. Why, yeah. uh, why all the new songs, man? You've got such a huge catalog. Like, why, why not bust out the oldies? Well, you know, I don't... It, historically, what I've done is I've made a record and we played the record for a year and then I've written another record and recorded it and then played that record and kind of set the other the songs aside, yeah. uh, I am going to, uh, starting in 
I've decided to break out some of that old stuff. And uh, beginning in uh, April and May, I'm going to start playing at the Cinema Bar on, on Wednesday nights, every other Wednesday night. And we're going to play the whole night. And uh, I've got like 76 songs from all the records that uh, I'm going to make everybody kind of oh, uh, cool. you know, re-remember. So you can do all the songs? Like, can you, play, you can do like the thing where you play the album in sequence? Or we're you... going to, you know, I don't know that we're going to do that, but we are going to play a bunch of songs off all the records. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Wilco did that. Uh, maybe five years ago, where they and they they streamed them, which back then was kind of a novel idea. Like there's so much streaming now, it's ridiculous. But they played each of their albums like start to finish in order, uh, and then kind of continued going on from there. It was like over several nights. It was a very interesting concept. That's a big thing now. Yeah, uh, well, to I do think, an album. I think people love albums, right? And I think of our generation certainly. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that you know. I don't like about iTunes yeah. and that kind of stuff is you you typically you know you create playlists and you shuffle stuff and and I think when people take the time to make an album and they take the time to sequence an album right uh, they do that for a reason and it means something to them and they're trying to tell a story and I, typically I mean historically I don't think bands have have played it like that either you know when they play live and I think that you know, folks who buy those albums and they and they love them. It's very cool to be able to see that story instead of just hearing that story too. So uh, yeah, I, I I love it when bands do that. I think it's fascinating too because uh, the, the album concept, or even listening to an album, you know, in this cherry picked on demand world where you can get any one song you want at any time, it removes it from the context of the rest of that album. You know, that might be you know you listen to this one song by the cure or skinner or the weekend or whoever band it is or artist it is but that one song might be different from the rest of the stuff on the album and you're missing out on because sometimes you have to be exposed to things you don't know you like right i think that's very important there's i feel like there's a value in boredom and there's a value in being exposed to things that you may not know you may not know you like jalapeno and your blueberry shake mm-hmm. until you try that right and you accidentally take a sip of it and you might even not like it the first time but then some of those things in your life, at least it's happened for me, those become your favorite things ever. You know, the, the songs that, you know, we're playing for you today, I think uh, I made an effort to choose songs that don't sound like one another. You yeah. Know? So um, I, I completely understand what you're saying and I appreciate it and agree with it. Very nice. Thank you for being contemplative about that and actually taking the time to do it because I love album sequencing. Yeah, me too. It's my favorite thing in the world. Like getting down to the key and the tempo and like oh, how, yeah. how close together the songs are going to be when you master it. Are they going to overlap a little bit? It's really, I mean, I grew up on Pink Floyd yeah. where like it was a story. Yeah. It was, a, it was literally a 90-minute show. When we, you know? When, when, you know, when we do live shows, I make a real effort to make my set list stories. You know, I, I don't cram a bunch of the same key together, a bunch of the same... Um, the same tempos together. I don't cram a bunch of the same kind of rhythm together. Uh, you know, there's a shuffle, there's kind of a rock and roll thing. Yeah. There's a two beat, there's a rumba, whatever it is, you know, I try and uh, create a story with that so that uh, I don't, I, people probably don't notice it, they but, may. Uh, but I think maybe they feel it. So here's a question. If the audience isn't feeling the set you're doing, or say you start with an album or you start with a show and people start showing up late, like, are you... How willing are you to stick to that set list, or do you call an audible and research? I would absolutely up? call an audible, okay. and, and so you're not married to the list. No, and I, you know, you draw songs out, you expand them. If people like what what's going on, like what we playing, and I'll see that, you know, Ed, it's not unique for him to just. 
be having a great night, right? And he, yeah. he might be having a great night. And but there are sometimes you know, there are great nights on top of great nights. Yeah, and it just happens. You go, let's draw that out. Let's let's yeah. play that, and you'll see. You know what? Let's put let's move this stuff over here. Let's put this stuff in the middle of this that we weren't even going to play because I can just tell he's going to kill that stuff. So. Yeah. Um, it's funny, make, I, I'm a set list guy too. I like it when you at least have an intent for a particular show, even if it goes out the window. Yeah. I say that all the time. Like, I like having a plan, but I'm willing to bail on the plan. Yeah. But I like having some kind of structure going into this. So at least if the wheels start coming off, we've got some kind of something we can stick that's to. That's right. You know? Because sometimes yeah. that's, that's life. It just yeah. happens. You got you to gotta read the room. Yeah. And I call it, I always have like, like through, there's like two or three basic types of set lists. Like, I call it a front loaded set. Like, mm-hmm. say we're playing last. We got to put certain songs first, otherwise we're going to lose them. That's right. People are going to bail. Or say we're playing right before you know, we're playing first, and there's a really great band after us. I'm not like going to put my crappy material first. I don't want to say that songs are crappy, but I'm going to put certain songs at the end of the set. Yeah. Because they're walking in to mm-hmm. hear the headliner, mm-hmm. and that's when I'm playing. And I really want them to hear this tune. So the next time they go, hey, that Joe Armstrong guy wrote a great song. Yeah. I might come see him play the next time he plays yeah. the show. If I were to play a show, yeah, there and there's a, there's some ego involved there too because you 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 know you know go listen I, I this is good too right you know and you want people we all yeah. as artists we want people to hear our work and see our work you know we you know it's we're performing but at the heart of it you know we do it because we love it and we do it because I mean I want people to hear these songs you know I I, I feel like a channel in some ways I don't want to get all high and mighty about <laughs> it but like the songs just show up. It's my job. I'm like a parent. Like this was given to me and I'm just going to, I just got to get it out into the world. Yeah. And it's in whatever it can be. Anyway, we're getting off the topic here. We got a song coming up. You've got this great band. They're just standing here waiting to play this tune. What's this tune again? I'm so sorry. Haunted by you. Haunted by you. Let's get to this. David Serby and his band, The Latest Scam on Independence Day.
Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong. Drop by our website, indepthday.com. We've also got a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash videos. You can follow us on Twitter at indepthday. We're on Facebook at indepthday. You know where to find us. And so proud to bring you David Serby. Man, we've been trying to do this, I feel like, for like two years. It's been a while. I don't remember when I first started bugging you about this. I, I want to say uh, we first started talking about it maybe when I did the the folk record. It was like 1973 or so, I think, I think when it was we first started talking yeah, about it. Was... <laughs> It was a while ago. I think it was at the Sunset Marquee, wasn't it? We yeah. were at the pool at <laughs> we, the, right right at the end of that tour. Yeah, we were super <laughs> loaded on margaritas. I was a toddler at yeah. the time. Uh, but man, seriously, thank you for finally making time uh, oh. to come out and do this. It's great yeah, to have I, you. I love uh, this show, and I, uh, I love watching the videos and hearing what folks have to say. And uh, I appreciate very much what you do and, and the, kind of the... Uh, avenue you give people to you know talk to folks and well, share their you. music you're gonna make me blush dave <laughs> um and while you do something kind of similar as well you've got this is the point in the show i want to kind of save a little bit of this because i would like to come in with grant and talk about california reaching oh, as a thing together yeah. um, but just give me like a short I, I love to say the word primer Give yeah. me a short primer on like why even do this it's called california roots union the website is is it California. Region. Well, we have a Tumblr page and we have a we have a um, uh, Facebook uh, okay page. And then tell but, me what it is like. What's the mission statement? So you know, I think we were folks know what that there's country music in Texas and folks know that there's country music in Nashville and I think a lot of times people forget that there's country or roots music in in California and there is and and there's a great history of of country and music uh, country and roots music here. Um, whether it's you know Spade Cooley uh, back in the you know '40s, or whether it's um, you know the whole Graham Parsons kind of birds right. uh, thing, or it's the stuff we were talking about earlier, the kind of blasters and and X and Los Lobos and that kind of stuff, that roots music. There's always been a lot going on here, but I think people forget about it a little bit, and we wanted to kind of remind folks that there was yeah. kind of roots music out here, and we also wanted to, you know, there are pockets of of kind of roots music up and down the state there's you know bakersfield bakersfield there's great stuff up in northern california we have a lot of great friends up there making roots music there's there's great people down in san diego and we wanted to try and figure out a way to connect those folks in a in a more formal way um and i think which 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 we've uh, been able to do so those i those are the things we're trying to accomplish i think and you guys are putting on like monthly shows usually we were doing we did a monthly show for about a year and a half um, right now, we're looking for for another thing to do. Um, we're not currently doing a show. Uh, at the end of last year, we put together a little tour that went up and down the state. Uh, we had uh, Sarah Petit from San Diego, who's fantastic, a uh, band from Bakersfield, and um, a guy named Maurice Tanny from Northern California. And we played uh, we played a place down in San Diego together. Oh, and then Grant Langston and I played. Uh, we kind of shared a set. And so we had four bands, and the four bands played in San Diego one night. They played out in Bakersfield one night. 
Uh, we played at the Cinema Bar in uh, Culver City one night, and then we played up at uh, the Starry Plow in Berkeley. Okay. Uh, so, you know, that was, that was a lot of fun, and we hope to do that again. It's an interesting big thing because California geographically is kind of a microcosm. We're kind of, you know, aside from being the farthest west part of the contiguous 48 states, uh, along with, you know, Oregon and Washington, of course, um, we have better weather, though. The Everyone kind of tumbles west and they land here. But it's a long way, like for touring bands, especially trying young bands trying to get off the road. To get to the next city is kind of a geographic challenge. Yeah. And finding those little pockets along the way. Like, you're going to play in Yuma? I don't know. You might have to. Yeah. You know, or San Diego, which in some ways, uh, it seems kind of lighter than mm-hmm. L.A. It's a lighter city. It's yeah. very kind of very laid back. Um, finding a place to do this kind of music, this kind of with perceived authenticity and be bending your G string and yeah. bend your guitars. And I think that's why you have to connect with the people yeah. because they know, you know, the person who plays roots music and is committed to what they're doing in San Diego knows where you should play. They know the people you should yeah. be connecting with and, and, you know, building those relationships, I help, I think makes it easier on you. Yeah. And kudos to you and Grant for doing this. I think it's a really, really cool thing. We musicians need, even now we need all the help we can get. We do need to support each other. That's for sure. You know, I've always looked at it like we're all part of the same team. You know, there's, there's room enough for everybody. There's 300 plus million people in America and people will spend money on it. If they know people eat what they're fed. Yeah. If they're fed good stuff, they'll eat good stuff. If they don't know there's good stuff even exists, you know, my father complains all the time. And I've heard other people say this too. There's no good music now. No music, good, no good music being yeah. made. And I think that's incorrect. Yeah. I think there's, you know, we're not in the heyday of the 70s when rock and roll was in a growth phase and technology that they made rock and roll with was in a growth phase where new ground was being broken. Or even like Radiohead when like Pro Tools was new and like, well, what can we do with this technology? Mm-hmm. But great music is being made fantastic music is being made it's just i think it's harder to find it there's i mean there's great music being made every night of the week in this in los angeles i mean i know that you've had nakona on your show i know you've had brian whelan on your show i mean there's just so many great people making music in southern california and it's it's a shame that everybody in the country doesn't know about them and it's a funny thing here too because this is the place where your audience is largely musicians or at least it feels that way that's you know, true. In this community where, you know, if you can really build, if you can build some kind of actual following in Los Angeles, you've really done something. Yeah. You know, get people who are non-musicians out. It's a tough thing. It's a big city, very diverse city, kind of a hard nut to crack, I think. Well, the city is almost like a state in itself. You know, right. it's people who live on the west side have a hard time getting to the east side. Or flat out refuse. Vice versa. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I was joking. And, yeah. I, anything west of Western Avenue is West LA to me. Yeah, I don't right. want. If I can help it, I don't you want. Know, to I live it. in San Gabriel, and uh, a couple weeks ago, Nakona was playing at uh, a bar called the Crest Lounge in Temple City, which is ten minutes from my house. Yeah, I thought, well, that's a lot easier than driving over to Culver City. Yeah, and uh, so, you know, there's little pockets around the around the city. You just have to be willing to get in your car and drive over there to do like a tour of Los Angeles a couple years ago, where she played. I don't know how even how many gigs it was, but it was a handful of gigs, maybe four or five, like around different parts of the city to kind of because you can do that here. Yeah, that that kind of sounds familiar to me. I might have seen one of the one of those shows at the Echoplex. I feel like there's as many. Well, there are as many people in Los Angeles as there are in, say, Iowa, or you're probably right. Once you factor in the metropolitan area, factor in Orange County and San Diego's ninety miles away. I mean, California being the most populous state, man, there's a lot of people out here. If I have one complaint about Los Angeles, I love it here. There's too many damn people, man. 
There's a lot of them. There's a lot of people. But that's a strength too, man. They all have cars. They all and they all have some of them have multiple cars, it seems yeah. like. And they're big and they have no idea how to drive them. <laughs> anyway, that's my own. That's I'll get off the ranting thing. Uh we've only got one more song to get to here before we roll out of here. But so you've got all these new songs. You're playing all new songs today. Are you you said before you're gonna do are you gonna do a new record sometime soon? Are you I'm in gonna, the studio? What's I'm gonna your plan? do something. Uh you know, Ed's like I said, Ed produces my records, and he lives. I can walk to Ed's house, so uh, it's it's not hard to start digging into the studio and, and recording a record. Um, I'm not sure exactly what we're going to do. Whether or not we're going to make a another kind of CD or do digital singles. I have a bunch of friends who are actually making you know records, actual yeah, LPs, vinyl. Um, I have. I am very bad at selling stuff, so. Uh, I you know I would like to figure out a way to make it uh, kind of easily um, digestible for people. Yeah, and uh, so I, I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do something. I think. Yeah, there's so many different ways to do that now, um, and so many people just give their music away flat out. Yeah, you know, especially people who you know have had had mid level success in their careers, might be married, have kids, getting on with their world. They still can't. They can't not do music. Yeah, they're still going to do it. They're going to do it at a high level. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a friend who was a guest on the show. He's a Chicago musician named Brad Peterson, and he was. It was funny in a way because he was way ahead of the curve. Years and years and years ago, he came up with something, or he, maybe he appropriated it. I'm not sure if it was his original idea, but it was called GTU, Gift to the Universe. He learned he was never. He's a fantastic writer, an excellent singer, very good recording guy. He knows what he's doing. I when BradPeterson.com, check his music out. I will. But he figured out that he wasn't going to make a living at it or maybe just decided that he he wanted to separate commerce from his art mm-hmm. and he's just going to do it and he continues to to this very day he still makes stuff and he has a job and but he makes great music and he never stopped making great music and it's a we can get sad about it in one respect okay they didn't maybe they didn't get their career at least they haven't yet that they they dreamed of in study hall in high school but yet they're still doing it yeah, they're still making music. They're making the music that they would have made. Or I've know. tried to stop making music. Yeah, I mean sometimes it gets so frustrating, uh, and but I can't. I just can't seem to do it. You yeah. know, I'm just always writing. I'm just always trying to you know yeah. improve my guitar playing or whatever it is. And it's just yeah. that's just what I do, and I can't stop no matter how hard I try. I me- I remember a couple of years ago uh, talking about the physical product. I was at the AMAs and I was at a conference. Uh, and it was like a radio conference. And at that point, I was trying to get away from making physical records because it seemed to me that that's not how the majority of people kind of consumed music anymore. And uh, But the radio programmers just said, no, I need it in a jewel case because it stacks on the desk easily and I can read the spine, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought, that's... That's just not how people consume music, you know. There's yeah. sooner or later the technology is going to, you know, pass you by. Right. So, yeah. The question is, how bullheaded do you want to be about it? Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm anachronistic in that way. When I make my albums, even if they're on a CD, I sequence them side A and side B. Yeah. There's no break between those two yeah. songs, song five and song six, whatever yeah. it happens to be. But I still believe very, very strongly, and maybe that's just because I grew up in an era of records, mm-hmm. but I think there's psychology behind this where we're used to consuming things in chunks. Yeah. To hear, you know, when CDs came around and all of a sudden we could make a 74-minute album or 79-minute album or whatever it was, because, mm-hmm. you know, there was a limit to how much music you could put on an LP or a 45. It's a physical limitation of the technology. And the CDs came along and all of a sudden you could put all this stuff on there and albums got really long yep. in that period. And, well, good or bad, whatever, indifferent. But... 
people lost that sequence concept mm-hmm. where you listen to four or five songs, especially if you did, like you said before, we're presenting a story or a yeah. theme. We're building a story, and then there's a little bit of a break, a little breath, and then we go into the second half of the album, and then how are you going to wrap it up? How are you going to do this? Um, I mean, I still love that, and I still love albums. My uh, last record, The Latest Scam, is actually a double record. It's two CDs. And, very ambitious, by yeah, the way. Very well, cool. Well, there are 20 songs. Each CD has 10 songs on it, but each CD is under 30 minutes long. Okay. You know, so you, I could have put all that on one CD, but I don't, my ear doesn't have the patience to listen to an hour's worth of music. You yeah. know, so, and some of my favorite records are, are uh, you know, I love, uh, um, you know, Sandinista by The Clash or, uh, right. or, um, uh, uh, What's the that great uh, exile on main, exile on oh, main street, street, right? And but it's a lot of music, right? right. So I I tried and uh, I tried to kind of create two separate little things that uh, yeah. you, know, you could listen to in under half an hour that kind of made sense. So kudos to you for the ambition because you spend extra money to do that. Yeah, it costs a lot more to make a double album, but it doesn't yeah. make to, well, to make one album. So yeah, good was, for you, man. It was not. Uh, it was not the. You know, financially smartest thing to do, but David Serby, you you're an you're an old school dude. You're a hardcore troubadour, and that's the best kind of person, man. Yeah, well, so thank you. you. I mean, thank you for sticking to your guns because the phrase you were talking before about not being able to not do it. Yeah, I've used the phrase. I can't tell you countless times. I can't not do it. Yeah, I I to this day, you know, I've tried. Mm-hmm. I've tried them. I'm done with this. I've had it. I'm tired of loading yeah. out in the snow. I'm tired of playing for four people on Tuesday or Saturday. Yeah. I'm tired of all because musicians of <laughs> all musicians have suffered indignities. You know, even the biggest ones you've ever seen at one yeah. point or another, they were shoveling poop. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, unless they're extremely lucky. And even though yeah. even the everybody who makes money, makes money at this is lucky. Don't let anyone yeah. tell you otherwise. Talents talented too. Yeah. But luck's a big part of it. Um, but I, I can't not do it. I, yeah, I'm sitting in any job I'm doing. Like as soon as I get, I start to make a little money. Like, oh, I could get a new amplifier. Yeah, but I don't have a band. But I still want an amplifier to play the songs. Yeah, you know, years ago before the big, uh, um, you know, there's a big kind of like old, well, oldies, whatever. Um, this kind of uh, oh stuff that people loved on MTV, and now you can go see that at the fair or whatever. Right, you right, know? right. And but like Ario Speedwagon. Yeah, whatever thing. it is. And but before you could. Before that, you know, Ario Speedwagon, I don't want to say that because I don't know for a fact, but, you know, a band like that would be playing at this tiny little club and, you know, you would see this the, the kind of flyer for it or whatever and and somebody would inevitably say, you know, what are they playing there for? Don't yeah, they have enough right money? Right? You yeah. know, and I thought, well, they love to do that. That's why, you know, yeah. they're not making a ton of dough doing that. They're doing that because they love to do that. Don't yeah. don't look down your nose at that. You yeah. Know? And if you can honestly, you know, talking to have, I have no friends who were in bands like that, yeah. who had uh, the big single or a handful of big singles 20 years ago or more, or even 10 years ago. Yeah. And then, they, then you know, they suffer kind of the indignity of being on the state fair circuit. Yeah. They're still making a living. Yeah. At music. Yeah. And maybe it's better. I mean, I talk to guys, friends of mine who play in those bands. The band flies them out mm-hmm. to wherever they're playing. They mostly do shows on weekends. They never go on six-month-long tours or yeah. year-long tours or 18-month-long tours. Mm-hmm. When you're 18, that's fine. That's awesome. That's your dream. Go do it. When you get to be 35, most of the people I know who are still doing it at, at 40 and are on the road 200 dates a year, there's a lot of grumbling. You get tired. They love it. Yeah. You know, but there's a lot of grumbling. So, I mean, in some ways, that's the best of both worlds. You've removed the pressure of some record label guy busting your chops because you don't need it, you know, about the next hit single, but you've got somebody setting up your gear 
Mm-hmm. You show up in a hotel, or you know, get fly in, get sent to a hotel. You show up, you play the gig, and off you go. Yeah. You know, and I don't want to glamorize it. I mean, that sucks too. Yeah, yeah. There's crappy things with every job, but you know, I don't know. I I still love the music thing, man. I'm glad you're still doing it. I'm looking forward to hearing new stuff from you. Thank you. I think it'll be cool. I'm excited well, about it. So one more last live song before we kick you out of here, man. What's this next one? Uh, this is called "She Just Keeps on Chugging." And tell me a little bit about this. Uh, this is, you know, I mentioned Roger Miller earlier. We were uh, playing this song last night at rehearsal, and Ed uh, said, "This is like if Roger Miller and Johnny Cash co-wrote a song with you." And I thought, well, that's a pretty huge uh, compliment. And but that's, you know, sounds like what the song's going for. So yeah, those sideways compliments are the best. I think yeah. uh, we had a rehearsal recently, and I'll let you play the song. I swear. Uh, <laughs> We were playing a thing, and a buddy I haven't played with in a long time says, man, you play you play like Joe Walsh. And I was like, oh, man, I could bow before you because <laughs> yeah. of all the players that I love. I can't sound like a lot of them. I couldn't yeah. possibly. But Joe Walsh, to think, because he's also someone that I revere, and to think that uh-huh. I could have even some of that, and it comes out in my playing. Like, yeah. I was like, man, I'm going to buy you a beer. I'm going to buy you 10 beers. No, it's it's cool when somebody recognizes yeah. an influence. Yeah, so good. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Okay, so David Serby, one last live song. She just keeps on chugging, and his band, who are fantastic, on guitar, Ed Tree, on bass, Greg Boaz, and on drums, Dale Daniel. Can't wait for you guys to hear this. David Serby on Independence Day. Girl that I've been wanting, she's deep down in my soul. But I never get no closer, so I keep shoveling coal. I pull the cord, I hit the horn, I'm about to blow my stack. She just keeps on chugging, she never does look bad. There's a girl that I've been needing, she's deep down in my blood. Her wheels just keep on spinning while mine is stuck in mud. I tell the brakeman, buddy, keep the lever locked in place. She just keeps on chugging, so boy, we've got to race. stuff man you're absolutely right that does sound like the bastard son of johnny cash and you know and someone else 
Roger Miller. Roger Miller. I was going to say Glenn Miller, but that's a whole different thing. <laughs> no, but I listened to a lot of Gr- Glenn Miller growing up too. Yeah. Very, very cool, man. So I, again, in the future, right now, no gigs scheduled. You know, you're going to do like maybe a, a show at the yeah. old Grand Ole Echo this summer, maybe. Do you know? I, I would, you know, I've done, uh, I've done the Grand Ole Echo every year. There's been a Grand Ole Echo, so you yeah, know, your phone will ring. You know, I would, I would hope to be able to do that. Um, uh, I'm going to start in April and May. I'm playing the first and third Wednesday of the month. Oh, that's at, right. At uh, the Cinema Bar. Uh, where we're going to play a bunch of songs. So, you know, I'm going to start there. And it's been a while. I don't think we've really done band shows for about six months. I've just been kind of laying low and writing. So we're excited to get back out. And kicking it back in again sometimes is hard. At least you've got the benefit of having a band. Like those guys are, you know, they're, excuse me, they know the, the old material and probably eager to learn the new material. Yeah. Like I'm having to start from zero again. I got nothing. Yeah, that's harder. Which is hard. Yeah. It's fun. It's kind of a good challenge though, man. Absolutely. Pushes you into new places, new neural synapses and neural working pathways. With, working with new people uh, is inspiring. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Like, say, I always wish I had that band, that band that I had forever. You know, I wanted my heartbreakers. It yeah. just never materialized. Everybody's path's different and mine yeah. never did. You know, had great bands. Had a great band in Chicago, great band in LA and people are going to go off and do their thing. But here I am. Can't not do it, David. <laughs> All right, man. So visit davidserby.com to know everything you know about David Serby. He's got a lot of great material on there. He's got five albums spread out over 10 years, which are worth checking out. Uh, They range from pretty straight-up honky-tonk-style stuff into kind of singery songwriter, more contemplative stuff, and then kind of amping it up a little bit uh, towards the more recent stuff, 2013, the eponymous record. So uh, it's got some shows coming up at the Cinema Bar. Check him out. Like I said, visit him at davidserby.com. And be sure to check out the uh, web-exclusive track as well. We've got a video up video up on youtube.com slash in-depth day videos uh that'll be another great song i think it's wiley los angeles if that's what it's called so david thank you man thank you so much joe i appreciate it we've had a great time hanging out with you and playing a little bit of music and yeah. it's been great to talk to you and i can't wait to play that vox one of these days a- anytime i'm gonna come a call and he's got a vox it's always AC-15. plugged in at my house i'm drooling over it man all right so thanks to david serby and the latest scam also to the independence day staff dale tanksley wayne topinski and sally shackleton the harmonious Tony Tone Loke Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. Check them out. They're great and unheralded as well. For Independence Day, I am Joe Armstrong. Please be good to one another. Pack up all your dishes. Make note of all good wishes And say goodbye to the landlord for me But some bitches always bored me Throw out them L.A. papers And that moldy box of vanilla wafers Adios to all this concrete Gonna get me some dirt road back street Just get off of this L.A. freeway without getting killed a car I'll be down a road and a cloud of smoke to some land 